bussin. I want that to be on my gravestone. He was bussin. <laughs> okay. You'll be dead long before I am. I know. <laughs> the way he just said, I know. <laughs> this is true. Hey there. I'm Jordan. And I'm Nick. We're just two regular guys who love talking about film. And now we'd like to talk to you. We decided to break down our discussions into three parts. Because everyone loves a gimmick. We discuss our expectations for a film before we watch it. That's take one. We give our immediate thoughts following the film. That's take two. And finally, we research the film at length to prepare for an informed and in-depth discussion. And that's take three. So if you love film even half as much as we do, join in on the conversation. This is Take Three, a movie podcast. Take one. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Take Three, a television podcast. Why television? Because we're going to talk about TV today, right? No, we're doing Take One first. (laughs) TV is last week. (laughs) We're doing Take One first. Oh, okay. This episode. <laughs> cool. Okay, so TV <laughs> was last week. You guys probably had a blast with last week's episode. It's it's our greatest episode. Yeah. And so. <laughs> I'm not even going to cut that out. That'll be that'll be fine. Um it's not even bored yet. Yeah, so oh no, okay. I got confused because I wanted to start this episode in Espanol. Hola, El Jordan. What is your what is your Spanish name? Como te llamas? My first Spanish class they had, you know how you pick your Spanish nicknames? No, we were given ours. You didn't have that? You were given yours? Yeah, cuz like our names were t- translatable to Spanish. Well, mine's I don't think there is one for my name. So, we were all told to pick our Spanish nicknames and my best friend and I went in on one together. And I was Paco Uno, and he was Paco Dos. You say went in on one together like you bought it or something, but that yeah. makes sense. Paco Uno and Paco Dos. Okay, so Paco you're Uno. you're Paco Uno. Yeah, and I was. I know this was a stretch. It was hard adjusting. Nicolas. <laughs> I don't know what take three a movie podcast is in Spanish, but we'll have so, to translate that by the end of it. Yeah, we're doing a Spanish movie this this episode, not television. Uh, and I'm content, or we, I should say, are continuing with our pattern of I've not seen it, but you have, and you seem to like it very much. I know nothing about this movie. I know nothing about this movie except there's a creepy man with eyeballs on his hands. That's it. That's the twist. Why would you give that away? Is it really the twist? No. <laughs> okay. So it's very like fantastical, but it's also very Guillermo. And uh, good. I think I cut this little discussion out of the last episode when we were talking about the fact that we've come full circle in episode 54 because our last Guillermo episode was number one. The very first one. And don't go back and listen to that because we were not good. I mean, it's not like we're great (laughs) now, but we are are much better. I can go back and look because I know you don't like listening to our episodes, but I'll go back and double check to see what the quality is like because now I'm curious about it to see how we've how far we've come since then i feel like you told me before that some of our earlier episodes are a little cringy but i mean that's always the case yeah probably but i have faith we didn't start nailing it until no we, <laughs> <When>? we never 
<laughs> what what movie was the crossover yeah. from mediocre to uh to nailing it nah. <laughs> hopefully this one <laughs> pan's labyrinth or el labyrintho del fano the labyrinth of the fawn because uh, if you have maybe like even just seen the poster there is a fawn-esque character creature i wouldn't have picked the word fawn but he definitely looks like an animal i love guillermo del toro so freaking much i wish he was my papa (laughs) my dad doesn't listen to this so (laughs) although i probably have told him that before he's just awesome he seems like the coolest guy I, i don't know he just has like such fervor for his craft he always like says he's gonna do 18 different projects and like 17 of them don't materialize which is okay because like (laughs) even just like the pre-visualization art that kind of stuff for some of the thing from some of the projects he's worked on is enough because they're incredible (laughs) and i know that this movie is was so meticulously like designed and Obviously, like the creature work is a huge deal. You'll see. It's it's a fucking huge component of this movie. Oh, I can't wait. It's also like really good at world building. I don't really remember when I saw it. I think I was already a Guillermo del Toro fan. The probably the first Guillermo del Toro movie I saw in theaters. Oh my god, what the fuck is that movie called? <laughs> the giant robot one. What is that movie called? Um, hell, uh, Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim, yes. And then I was like, oh, I want to watch a ton of his movies. So I've seen a lot of them. This is a good second Guillermo del Toro movie to do. I, like, I think we were just really high on The Shape of Water the last time we did it. Like, <laughs> it's still my favorite of his movies. It's fantastic. I could be just talking on my ass here. But, like, from what I've seen, this one feels, like, very indicative of the kind of movies that he makes and the the heart that he puts into them. And uh, like, okay, this feels like the quintessential Guillermo del Toro movie to me in the same way that like Pulp Fiction feels like the quintessential Quentin Tarantino movie. That makes sense. I can imagine it's a great amalgamation of his isms. Yeah, and he's done like a lot of different things. I mean, he's talked about like never wanting to I don't know, repeat himself um, if he couldn't like top himself or bring something new to the idea. And I mean, clearly, like he has tackled uh, many different genres and put his spin on a lot of different high concepts. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm excited for you to actually see this movie. I'm very excited as well. I feel like it's a classic that I am catching up on. I have been out of the loop with this movie since it came out. I will say that I do obviously love Guillermo, I love his style. I would say that not all of his movies are home runs. There are a couple that I'm a little bit iffy about. Like what? Crimson Peak. I remember when I first saw it, I was like, this was fun. It looked pretty. I don't remember there being much substance, but then again, it's been a while since I've seen it. So that could change if I did watch it again. That's one I've actually not seen. Uh, And then Nightmare Alley was very good. It was just very slow. We've talked about this before. We know my opinion on Nightmare Alley. Jordan, I completely forgot that Nightmare Alley was a (laughs) Guillermo movie. Nightmare Alley is fucking incredible. I know you really love it. It is. I know you I, do. Like, I don't know. Depending on which one I've seen the most recently. <laughs> that one's your favorite. Like, Nightmare Alley might be my favorite. Like, I just yeah. love that movie. Jordan was like, I don't know if you'll like this movie. And it's literally about freaking con men and carny folk. Why would I not love that? <laughs> I think, well, 
I mean, we could even rewind a few episodes. I think it was because we had just gotten off of discussing Encanto and how slow you thought that was. And I was like, oh, okay, well, if you don't like slow, then you're definitely not going to like this. And boy, was I wrong. So it's like the difference between this and Encanto or that movie and Encanto. Is that neither are Moana? It's like, (laughs) shut the fuck up. It didn't feel slow. It felt like it was setting up something really amazing. And it really was. I think Nightmare Alley is awesome very high for you and Encanto is equally as low for you and both of those movies are very much in the middle for me and I think that that's funny how that worked out I am a huge sucker for Hellboy fucking love Hellboy at least Guillermo's Hellboys I've not seen the most recent one but I heard it was not super good yeah and that sucks because I really love David Harbour me too me too I want to bite him I think the only other ones that I've seen are Shape of Water obviously can I just really quickly like go through, he only has maybe, what, like 10 or 11 movies. Yeah. Can I go through and ask which ones you've seen? I have seen Kronos. I liked it, but it feels like a 90s movie. Okay. Oh, it came out the year I was born. That's awesome. Yeah, it's very cool. Blade 2, so I'll admit I have not seen Blade 1. <laughs> that might have helped. Blade 2 is cool, though. Cool. I mean, I you know, I wasn't expecting a whole lot. And I saw it when I was much younger, like on television or something. Love Hellboy. Huge fan of Hellboy. Obviously love Pan's Labyrinth. Hellboy 2 is better than Hellboy 1. Pacific Rim is fucking awesome as well. People shit on that movie and like, I don't even get like how, like, look at the, look at the robots, man. They're fighting monsters. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> um, i never seen Crimson Peak, which is weird. Uh, and I, I, like Shape of Water and Nightmare Alley, I would get tattoos of them, so... I genuinely don't know how you'd feel about Crimson Peak. Um, I honestly, I don't know how I feel about it either. It's been so long, but. And it was like a gothic period romance, right? Yeah. So like. Pretty much. Not exactly like my cup of tea, but I mean, there also seemed to be like horror elements to it. It was like. To some degree. If I remember correctly, it was, I mean, it's called Crimson Peak and Crimson obviously is like referencing blood. So I do remember it being gory, I think. I couldn't tell you what this was about, but I know it's like old, bloody and dark. Uh, That's, that's, (laughs) that's how I would explain this movie. Old, bloody and dark. What about Mimic? I've not seen Mimic. I don't know why I haven't seen Mimic, but I have not. And what about or the Devil's, Devil's Backbone? Mm. Okay. And I know that we've had this discussion several times, but I always just want to keep saying that The Orphanage is a Guillermo movie when it was really just produced by him. But I just love that movie. I just think it's worth saying that I just fucking love The Orphanage. If you have not seen it, it is incredible. You should do yourself the favor and watch it. It's very, very good. The Orphanage is fucking awesome. Can you predict how I would feel about this movie that we're about to watch? You're going to love it. I am? Okay. Yeah. It's great. I know that it it won a couple of like technical Oscars. People love this movie. People appreciate it. I don't want to get too like into take three about stuff I know about it, but did well in Rotten Tomatoes. Like People appreciate this film. I don't know much about this movie. One thing I do know is how well received it is and how much people do love this movie. So uh, I am looking forward to watching it and finally being in on the loop yes oh and one thing i know i will forget if i don't say it and i'm uh, take three nick remember this shit talk about doug jones because doug jones is fucking awesome and he's like in so many of guillermo's movies did he play the water monster or the water creature in si senor is he the one with the eyes on his hands does he play that character in this movie awesome yeah he he plays two different characters and pan's labyrinth Mm-hmm. Because I mean, he's like head to toe makeup, so he can do both. 
Nice. And there are two characters that I think you'll you'll recognize him as. I'm excited. He definitely has a presence. I mean, Doug Jones, like, he's so fucking awesome. Like, if he's not in Hocus Pocus 2, I'm going to be sad. Was he in the first Hocus Pocus? Yeah, he's Billy. The oh, zombie. Shit, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I want, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, he was the Silver Surfer in Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. He was the gentleman in the Hush episode of Buffy. Okay. Nice. Anytime where like they they have like a like a thin, tall person um <laughs> head to toe in makeup, you should probably assume it's Doug Jones until you're told it's not. <laughs> I think in the past I was a little worried that like because this is a Spanish language film, maybe less people would be willing to watch it and give it a shot. But like I'm of two minds. One, we've talked it up enough where I think people will. I think that it has a good enough reputation that people will watch it with us. And two, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, turn the episode off. We still got your listen, bitch. <laughs> Day two. So I had Sophie this weekend. I was dog-sitting for my parents. And because my parents wake up at 5.30, 6 o'clock every morning, so does the dog. And I've been waking up at 5.30 to 6 o'clock every morning this weekend. And... uh a little out of sorts, a little low on sleep, a little delirious, a little stuffy, uh, throat's a little sore. That's my story uh, for this take. But uh, I did drop her off today, and I went out of my way to find a Rita's Italian Ice, because that's what I wanted. And I did it, and I don't regret that decision. Well, I'm sorry you don't feel good. I'm glad that you got to see Sophie, and I'm glad that you got to get Rita's. What kind of Rita's did you get? I got the layered stuff with the custard and the ice and then the custard on top and it was i think it was like cherry or something it was really good excellent so my very first job was at aritas and uh their custard slaps it slaps hard i had a friend whose first job was at aritas and we would go there all the time and bother her while she was working but like you like aritas right yeah I haven't had it in forever because the one that was near us isn't around anymore. But um, I have fond memories of it. But also just I think I have fond memories of acting a fool in there and embarrassing her. But yeah. uh, Oh my God, I forgot the name of the damn movie. Pan's Labyrinth. (laughs) Yes, yes indeed. So can I just say first off, I completely forgot that the name of the princess was Princess Moana. (laughs) As soon as I heard that, I was like, no fucking wonder he loves this movie yeah. so much. <laughs> what did you think? Because I don't, I didn't get anything. I didn't understand it. I had no idea what the hell was going on. It was like they were speaking another language. I, I, yeah, there's weird accents. I don't know. I got to admit, I don't know if it was because my expectations were so high. I think I was expecting to like it better than Shape of Water. And I don't think that I did. Well, that's okay. It was still a great movie guillermo has gotten better as his movies have progressed i agree i think he's gotten tremendously better i think his two best movies have been his last two movies one thing that i understandably didn't remember because i don't think it was as egregious back when i first saw this film the cgi (laughs) the one that bothered me the most because it's like you could have done this practically the mandrake oh no see more than that the big toad Oh, huh. I gotcha. That was like ridiculous looking. <laughs> I think because I did notice that too. And I didn't want to comment on the CGI because I know this came out in what, 2006, I think. Mm-hmm. So I 
that's understandable. I wasn't going to fault them. Like, I don't think I saw it until I was an adult, and that would have been 2010 after. So even then, it it wasn't as noticeable. Like, I don't remember there being CGI issues, you know, when I first saw it. Maybe our TVs are just better. (laughs) (laughs) Our TVs are getting better, and therefore the CGI is getting worse. I watched it on my computer. Oh. (laughs) How do you feel about the actual story of it all? I really liked it. In fact, there were, I don't want to call this a trope because I don't think it's a trope, but it was, there's been several movies now where there have been like, the story is like, you must pass three tests or like, I must tell you three stories. And I like those, but they can sometimes become predictable in that like, oh, like something's going to go wrong with one of them. And like the third one isn't going to be what you think it's going to be. Like they did it in Harry Potter. They did it in um, that one movie that came out was very, very sad with the tree (laughs) that reminded me of this movie too. What was it? Uh, Oh, wow. Yeah. It Jay Bayona did. It was the guy that did the orphanage. What was it? (laughs) It's the, it's the, the tree telling the three stories about the, with the kid and the dying mom. I don't remember it. No, nope, don't remember it. I never saw it, but because you told me it was too sad. Uh, so sad. So sad. Heavy sobs. I know what you mean. Monster Calls? Monster Calls. A monster, monster Calls. calls. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. I'm glad you thought of it. I admire the simplicity of a structure like that. It feels very much like it stems from a fairy tale or from an old sort of like epic adventure novel, the ones that we like a journey that the person would go on and then there would be step by step by step. Yeah. It's not like a super complex narrative by any means, or at least her side of the story isn't. The more adult version of the story, I like how they don't spell everything out for you right at the beginning. It doesn't really wind Mm -hmm. up being very complex either, but I like that you sort of learn things as you go along. I really appreciate the Doctor and Mercedes characters. I just really... Mm -hmm. Uh, liked them a lot. I couldn't remember if Mercedes died. And I was like, this just feels like it just feels like Mercedes gonna die. Mm-hmm. And I remember the mom died. It was all getting muddled in my head. And I'm like, oh, Mercedes <laughs> dies. And when she survived, that made me very happy. The way that her stepdad was able to figure out that the doctor was sending antibiotics to the people up in the woods. The resistance. Yeah, the resistance. Yeah, that was really cool. What I admired about that was that it was a plot point that played out completely visually. Like it was never something that Mm -hmm. had to be explained in dialogue. Like, oh, he's a bad guy or whatever. You saw it in the woods and then you saw him look at it and you almost didn't even need him to go back to his office and hold them up together. (laughs) You know what I mean? But like at that point, it was like, oh shit, the jig is up. That doctor's fucked. And even the scene that he was like executed where you see it happen and it's almost as if like he doesn't even believe it happened himself and he still takes those last couple steps before collapsing. Like that was really very sad and very well done. (laughs) I was about to say well executed, but that's... Oh, gee. (laughs) Well, speaking of well executed, I don't think you really get a a good idea of how awful this guy is until he kills those two farmers. Oh, my God. I forgot. I remember he did this, but I forgot that that he finds the The rabbit. The the rabbit. And he was like, well, next time check their bags before you come get me. 
I with that glass bottle that he pulled out and then started bashing that guy's face. Yeah, in, I was I was so that was the first moment where I was like, oh, shit, this is an adult movie. Oh, yeah. And I, I was not expecting it to be so graphic until maybe three quarters the way into the movie. I'm like, well, Shape of Water had some really like queasy stuff in it, too. And I feel like Nightmare Alley did as well. And I was like, I don't know why I'm surprised about this, but it really did catch me off guard how how gory and graphic it was. I've never seen anything that Guillermo has done that has not been extremely violent. Like, I I feel like maybe like even Pacific Rim, even though like the violence is with big CGI creatures, they go hard as fuck on each (laughs) other. (laughs) so uh i mean yeah he's definitely not afraid to show violence i mean oh my god when he was sawing that guy's leg i thought that they showed more this was after saw you could show some you know him actually cutting but then they cut from it because it's not that kind of movie i understand i think i closed my eyes or covered (laughs) covered my eyes or something i don't i don't remember something i appreciate about guillermo's movies is that a lot of times he melds a very fantastical story up against something that's way more realistic and way harder to stomach like in shape of water michael shannon's character and what's the guy's name um he's in call me by your name he's the dad in call me by your name the really cute like yeah. button nose guy yes spy and yeah stein I so stone much. i don't know he's incredible I love him. Their storyline is much more realistic and harder to deal with. And in this storyline, you obviously have like the story of this war. And I really appreciate that, that he's able to blend the fantastical and the cold, hard look at human nature. Yeah. It would be interesting to kind of explore the parallels between the fantasy world and the world that Ophelia is dealing with, like with her mom and her stepdad. I want to get into that. And I also like, I noticed a lot of things, for example, for the first task when her mom made her that dress and she finally got into the dress, she, it looked exactly like Alice in Wonderland and she's going to this like hole next to a tree. And it's like, okay, clearly you're pulling from something here. And I want to dig into that a little bit. I think I was expecting more fantasy. I did not realize that this movie had so much darkness that was set in reality. And I think that's what I was missing. I almost wish that her adventures or these tasks would have been expanded more or maybe more fantastic or maybe just a bigger part of the movie. I don't know. And I don't have a solution to this. Like, I don't know how they would have done this, but I really, really hated that they showed her in like the fantasy world at the end. Like, oh, she did make it like it was her. And like, I wish I wish the ending was crafted in a way that still offered you hope that maybe she was that the story that was being told really was her story without showing it to us at the end. What I liked is that they showed it to us at the end, but then they also sort of cut back to, oh, is this just like something that's flashing before her eyes or that she's thinking about as she's dying? Oh, maybe I didn't get that. Maybe I didn't realize that. I mean, because like the thing that we're sort of left on is not that beautiful palace with the the king and everything. We end on her there dying. I get that. I guess I just I read that as more literal. I don't know. I think we are supposed to interpret a happy ending there, but I don't think he would have brought us back into reality, you know, as Mercedes is crying over her dead body, if we weren't supposed to at least somewhat question whether or not this was in her head. 
Yeah. Especially, especially because there are a couple of times when she's talking to characters and you see it from another person's point of view and she's not with anyone. Like the fawn is invisible. Yeah. I think it was when it was when like the king or whatever was like, oh, you finished your final task. The final task was, you know, saving the innocent, the blood of the innocent. I was like, I feel like that could have gone so much better. And I know I just said I wish there was more fantasy, but I I feel like the ending would have been much more impactful and profound if that was something that we were able to like think about as we left the theater. If like if we were left with like just kind of wondering like, oh, was that the final task? Or like, what was the final task? Did she finally make it? And again, I don't know how that I would have crafted it differently, but I could see that. Like, I just it didn't sit right with me. I was kind of like, uh, don't don't spoon feed us. I hate that. I hate that. I could see them maybe not having that ending, but having maybe her blood dropping down into yeah, maybe like a voiceover or something talking about the blood of the innocent or the blood, you know, or even just like the the because no one else can see the fawn and have him like bend down and whisper in her ear like you made it or something, and maybe have her crack a very small smile right before she dies or something no that's awful know. no no <laughs> no i'm taking this responsibility i'm taking away your screenwriting privileges i just hated the whole like uh it reminded me of like thor or something where there she's in this very shiny very gold palace with these gods and it just it nothing felt wrong with thor um off and cheesy to me nothing wrong all. with thor and uh again is you know part fairy tale so i know I know he does love an adult fairy tale and I really appreciate that. And it makes me even more excited for his Pinocchio movie. Cause that's going to be, I, I'm fascinated to see how that's going to go. Apparently I was reading about it. Pinocchio is like, he said like, there's no other character that has had as profound of, of an effect on him <laughs> other than Pinocchio. That's so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So it makes sense. There was a birthday. I don't remember which birthday, but I got the re-release of the anime, the Disney animated Pinocchio. And I watched it again because I, you know, I watched it all growing up. You know, obviously we all knew Pinocchio, but watching it again older. And again, I don't remember what year it was. It was maybe like when I was in my teens, early teens. That animated movie is scary. It is very scary. Yeah. This is before... Disney like made the decision to become super palatable to kids. This was their second yeah. animated movie. It was horrifying in parts. Yeah. And like, I want to know how closely he's going to stick to that story or if he's going to make, I don't know. I have not watched the trailer. I don't want to, but so this is not an adaptation of Disney's version because Disney's version is the Robert Zemeckis, Tom Hanks. So that'll be the one that probably has the, I got no strings to hold me, whatever the fuck. But is he still going to have, like, that whole sequence where they're turning into donkeys is so fucking scary. That's like nightmare fuel. Robert Zemeckis just did Witches, and he did, I mean, I I like, while I don't like that movie, you're right, he did do, you know, a decent job with the Witches transformations and everything like that. So he may, in, in his version, it might be scary as well. This is actually based on a book called like The Adventures of Pinocchio. And I don't think he would do it if it wasn't, you know, to some degree dark. I think we are definitely looking at something that is more like something that Leica would do rather than something that Disney would do. Yeah. And the fact that it's on Netflix really doesn't matter because it doesn't have to make shit for money. <laughs> like it really doesn't. Like who the yeah. fuck cares? We, we have no idea. It looks 
like a really cool style of animation. It's like stop motion or at least designed to look like that. I'm not 100% sure how they did it, but very excited for that. If, if anything, watching this movie just made me want to go through all of his films. For sure. Honestly, when you were talking about the ones I have and haven't seen, I think I said I watched Kronos, and now I feel like I've seen Mimic and not Kronos. I don't – that's the thing. Like I got to go and look at their synopses and yeah, and just go through them because it's like why not? I know that there are a couple of them that are in Spanish though. Like he has a couple of Spanish movies. However, it's not like he hadn't – made the transition over to English films yet. This movie came out in 2006. He had already done Hellboy. Yeah, very true. Yeah. God, I love Hellboy. I just it's fucking... Hellboy so is so good. fucking cool. It's such a dope movie. And so is Hellboy 2. <laughs> uh, real quick final thoughts for me. Like, it was very clear that this was a Guillermo movie. There were definite shades of Shape of Water that I saw. He loves using color. I feel like... The actress that plays Ophelia, the actress that plays Mercedes, and Sally Hawkins could be all related. Like, <laughs> yeah. It, he definitely has a type for sure. And just even down to the costuming of this movie, like it was it was very clear that this was his vision. And um, a lot like Shape of Water, I feel like Shape of Water used, like, was it green and red were the two big main colors? And then this one, it was like uh, blue and orange that I saw a lot of. And that's going to be. Yeah, it was like blue and like an amber. Yeah, yeah. There were parts of it that I was like, I would give so much money to see this on a big screen. And you know <laughs> me, man. I never say that shit. Yeah. I'd watch yeah. Marvel movies at home. Like, I don't care. I just don't. <laughs> I Like, I am not a theater guy. The scene with the pale man, honestly, I mean, that's sort of like the scene that I'm waiting for the entire time. Like, that is my favorite scene in the whole movie. He's so horrible looking. Clearly, the fawn was the main fantastic character in this. Yes. And I thought that it was the the Noah. What was it? What's his name? The Pale Man. The, yeah. I thought he was going to have a much bigger part in this movie than, than the fawn did. Oh, and I yeah. think, like, once that scene was over, I was kind of like, oh, that's it? Like, I kind of waited for... That, like, and I didn't really understand why she so easily broke the rules when she knows she shouldn't have. Like, I don't know. I, I There were several things in this movie that I was just not thrilled with. That part does puzzle me, too. Like, come on. Like, you knew you weren't supposed to do this. I understand that she was like, I didn't think anybody would notice. Yeah. But you did see this, like, monster sitting there. Right. By that time, I would have been like, hey, maybe these tests are about greed and gluttony and <laughs> things like that you know because like the yeah. first one was about the giant toad stealing all the nutrients from the tree or not letting the, th the tree thrive and right. now this one there's this giant feast and you are not allowed to eat it mm -hmm. i think that there's some messages here but i mean she's like a kid so i don't know i wouldn't have gotten myself into this you told me i was a princess <laughs> i'd have been like all right i'm good <laughs> Uh, I, I don't say these things because I hated the movie. I did not hate the movie. That is far from my feelings about the movie. I think I was expecting it to be Shape of Water level masterpiece. And I just don't think that I got that. It was still a very fun movie, very profound movie, very impactful and sad movie. That just means that he has gotten so much better in 11 years. Absolutely. And 
as you start to fill in the blanks of his filmography, I think you will see there is improvement for sure. I'm afraid to rewatch Pacific Rim because I love the movie so much. <laughs> and I, I'm like, I, I know so many people are like, that movie's so stupid, but I love it. it. This has piqued my curiosity, and I do, I do want to watch that movie as well. Have I ever told you about the Pacific Rim effect? The glasses that you, yeah. I think like that was the origin movie of, of that concept, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So basically, I uh, went and saw that movie with some friends, and I was so excited about it after. I was like, this is one of my favorite movies ever. It's one of the greatest movies ever. And so Stacy started being like, uh, is this like Pacific Rim? Is this like Pacific Rim? Because I, <laughs> I tend to uh, do that a lot. And yeah, Pacific Rim was the one that started it all. <laughs> or at least the one, the first one we noticed. Guillermo's the shit and very talented. There, There's absolutely no doubt about that. I just, I like that he experiments to have these two sort of star-studded Oscar bait movies followed up by a stop-motion adaptation of Pinocchio. <laughs> That's fucking cool. Like, do, do whatever the hell you want to, Guillermo. You've made enough. You've done enough. <laughs> like, you can rest now, but you don't have to, and we don't want you to. Just keep going. Actually, <laughs> yes, never rest. Keep going. I love him. I just want to give him a hug. He just seems like the coolest guy ever. Like, my favorite director of all time is Quentin Tarantino, but I'd be terrified to meet him. Like, I want to meet Guillermo del Toro right now. If he was behind me, like, right now, I'd be like, "Oh, hi, Guillermo del Toro. I wouldn't even be scared. I feel like he would give great hugs as well. He yeah. just seems like a very fluffy man. And yeah. I love that. He, like, carry me around. Yeah. Put me in your pocket, Guillermo. I'm probably just as big as he is, but <laughs> the amount of interviews that I have seen this man do is remarkable. And there's not like an ounce of ego to this man. It's just all passion and humor and humility. I love him. Can you listen to The Shape of Water and just see if we like... Like, tell me, like, oh, we already talked about this, or oh, we talked about this. Because I don't want to talk about Guillermo again if I talked about Guillermo in the last one. Yeah, I can do that. It's like, I don't want to have to listen to episode one of this podcast. I feel like I'd get super self-conscious. I would love to see how far we've come. Just like I love to see how far Guillermo has come. Oh my god. Uh, way to end it with, like, a full circle moment. That was really good. Thanks. Take three. So fun fact, take three in Spanish is Tomar Trace. Isn't that to take three? Yeah, but like who is doing the taking? We are. So Tomamos? Oh shit, yeah, Tomamos. Tomamos Trace. <laughs> I like it. What is podcast? Oh, I didn't even think to translate a movie podcast. So it would be a podcast pellicula? Uh podcast and what is the um you brought this up several times what's the the word that where the english and the spanish are like the same cognado yeah i can imagine that this will probably be a cognado in spanish podcast it is podcast <laughs> tomamos trace un podcast película i'm sure there's different translations for movie in spanish let me see I think Pelicula is movie. Yeah, Pelicula.
película. Yeah. What's weird is I've made several Spanish movie trailers. I know that sounds weird, but I have. <laughs> I also did want to bring this up because I said I would in the earlier takes. I did listen to the Shape of Water episode that we did. That was our very first episode. I did not finish it, however. Because you couldn't. I couldn't finish it, but not because of what you think. <laughs> Why? I really liked it. I don't know. I sound different, but I sound <laughs> much happier. So is that why you couldn't listen to the whole thing? I was kind of like, shit, have we gotten worse? Like, have we have we dipped? And uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been a downward spiral ever since episode one. Yeah. Oops. I don't know. I sounded <laughs> so much more confident back then. Which is crazy to think about. Like, I, I would have assumed that the opposite happened, but now I'm not so sure. Uh, it, it was great what I did listen to. I loved the bit about the Cheerios. I miss the Cheerios. Like, that's where that, that's where that became a thing, was that episode. What Cheerios? Oh, God, that ASMR stupid... Cheerios. No, fuck you. Uh-uh. <laughs> so that means you've been doing that gross-ass <laughs> shit to me from the beginning. <laughs> So this movie actually was really successful at the box office. So $37 million at the domestic box office, uh, $49 at the international. So that's $87 overall. That's like pretty impressive all on its own, but it only cost $16 million to make. That's very surprising. Yeah. So that's like over five times its budget back, which is yeah. dope. Plus... Uh, again, I'm using that numbers site, and they give home market estimates. So it supposedly has made $44 million on DVD sales. There's over $130 million off of a $16 million budget for this Spanish-language movie. I mean, I know what I'm about to say about it probably helped, the fact that it won a bunch of awards. But um, still, that's pretty cool. Did you expect that? No, I did read somewhere, though, that there was a lot of roadblocks that Guillermo ran into where he was he sort of I don't know if he felt pressured to make it more Hollywood or he was encouraged to work with people who were trying to make it this like big Hollywood blockbuster. He refused to do that. I don't remember what movie it was for, but he worked with one of the Weinstein brothers. And after that, he was like, nope, not doing that again. And this was the movie after that where he was like, I'm sticking to my guns. I'm not changing any of my vision whatsoever. I'm not making it English. Like it's going to go how I want it to go. And I think that posed some budget issues. And I think he even surrendered some of his paycheck in order to finish this movie. So to hear that it was as successful as it was is actually, it's reassuring. And that makes me feel better about the situation, I suppose. Yeah, that's really awesome. Okay, so I'm not 100% sure which movie you're talking about that he worked with Weinsteins, but I know that this movie was right after Blade 2 and Hellboy. So he back-to-back -back relatively larger action movies. Yeah, I think he achieved a lot for $16 million. Like, I'm impressed. I Oh, I agree completely. Especially with the special effects and everything like that, like practical and CGI. You can totally tell that Guillermo is all about his vision, his passion for filmmaking. It's not about ego. It's not about money. It's just about like wanting to tell that story. And so that definitely fits right in with my ideas that I have of Guillermo del Toro. Like it makes complete sense. So this movie like really did well. Uh, awards wise 
So it was nominated for six Oscars, won three of them for art direction, cinematography, and makeup. Oh, my God. Right? It was nominated for 13 Goya Awards, which I don't know if you know what Goya Awards are. They're Spain's version of the Oscars, like the Spain equivalent. Right. Gotcha. Nominated for 13, won seven. So Best New Actress, Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Makeup and Hairstyles, Editing, Sound, and Special Effects. That's crazy. Yeah. And then the Ariel Awards, uh, which I might be butchering the way that they pronounce these names, Goya and Ariel. Ariel is the Mexican Oscars. Nice. Like the Mexican equivalent of that. Nominated for 11 Ariel Awards, won seven of them for Best Director, Best Actress, Best Cinematography, Best Production Design, Costume Design, Makeup, and Special Effects. He was drowning in awards for this. That's yeah. amazing. And <laughs> Saturn Awards, which are Basically, the Oscars in America for genre pictures, sci-fi, action. They have a they have a comic to film category. They have an action movie category. They have a science fiction movie category. You know what I mean? Interesting. It, yeah, they're all, yeah. It's all about genre filmmaking. Nominated for six and won two of them, Best International Film and Best Performance by a Younger Actor. Nice. Yeah, so um, before I just run out of notes completely, you, you go. Okay. <laughs> So one of the things I didn't pick up on while watching the movie but learned a lot about through this research was how uterine this movie was. Um, uterine? Uterine, as in like a of uterus. the uterus. Of yeah. the uterus, got it. Aren't we all of the uterus? <laughs> Del Toro mentions, I very deliberately designed the idea of the fantasy world to be extremely uterine. We used a fallopian palette of colors... We used crimson and golds, and everything in the fantasy world is very rounded, while everything in the real world is cold and straight. You can see it in the not-so-subtle entrance to the tree. Uh, and for like, do you remember how the yeah. tree looks, where it kind of like sprouts out um, on the top? And exactly. Then there's an obvious hole at the bottom. Guillermo. <laughs> when we did the poster for the movie for Cannes, someone said that they wanted to call the movie a womb with a view. And I saw a lot of photos while researching this concept of when she was opening the book. When she opened up the book and the illustrations would appear, there was always that like that like fallopian tube motif, um, especially with the the page when she opens it up and the blood starts to oh, form. Oh, that was fucked up. That, yeah, that curled um, shape. The specific essay that I read, which again I'll link in the description, um, mentions that. Uh, she ate the forbidden fruit in the second task, which reflects Eve and the punishment of menstruation. And it also echoes the fall and expulsion of Eden and her, sort of like her loss of innocence. Yeah. Okay. So we were talking about this earlier. Yeah. About, I don't remember if the Bible actually says uh, anything particularly like about menstruation, but I do remember being taught at least and I don't even know if this is in the Bible, to be honest with you, but I do remember being taught in school because I went to a religious school that one of sort of like the punishments from Eve would be that she would suffer pain in childbirth. In childbirth. And I can imagine that that is in due part related to menstruation because that's that kind of leads to childbirth in a way. So, you know what I mean? 
I did try to do some further digging to see if like the word menstruation was ever mentioned in the Bible. I didn't actually find specifics in that regard, but through some searches, I found on a Wikipedia article that apparently in Judaism, that's sort of very briefly mentioned. I didn't dig too deep, but I can also link that Wikipedia article that I found. Man, maybe we can ask a Jew. Do we know any Jews? <laughs> I don't know, do we? Are we going to talk to one next week, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, we can. Oh, we can ask. Who can never be sure? This this same thing happened to our Jewish friend, Kimmy. <laughs> Yeah, stay tuned. Uh, we will follow up with this next week, if we remember, because I will definitely forget, so you have to remember. And what an awkward question. We're going to start out with, like, hey, <laughs> what do you remember about menstruation in the Bible? It seems like an odd question, but we're going to answer it <laughs> next week. We'll find out. Um, <laughs> so this essay kind of concludes saying that um, uh, demonstrating the unmistakable subtext of Ophelia's fertility in the film in the last scene, the final image on the screen is the uterus-shaped fig tree, which had been barren and void, sprouting a white flower on one of its fallopian tube branches. It kind of went on to explain that her death at the end symbolizes the death of a child and her transition into womanhood, where she's, you know, in her palace, she's wearing all red and gold. I like that. I, yeah, I thought that was very interesting as well. Another article mentions that the palace at the end of the film, it says, quote, the entire palace bears the shape of a vesica piscis, an ancient occult symbol representing the vulva. And if you don't know what a vesica piscis is, uh, if you think about a Venn diagram, it's the space in the middle. So it's like that, that oval with the two points at the top and bottom. That's what a vesica piscis is. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, now you explain what a vesica piscis is. Explain to me what a vulva is. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Let's ask Kimmy that next week, too. <laughs> oh, I don't know if this is offensive or I don't have any idea, but we're going with it. <laughs> That's all I had about uh, vulvas and Ophelia's womanhood. That uh, is really periods. cool. I like that. Like, that's not something I don't know that I would have ever picked up on. Yeah. Yeah, but it all makes sense. Like, everything was laid out, and I was like, holy shit, I can't believe totally. I missed all of this. This is crazy. Their forbidden fruit thing, I did kind of understand. Like, like obviously, she's not supposed to eat the fruit, and then she just does. Yeah. But I didn't know how it sort of tied into this overall theme of uterinism. I don't know. <laughs> is that a thing? That might be offensive. That what you just said that that might that might offend some people. Really? Is uterinism? No, I know. I don't oh, know. okay. I have it's no just idea. a bastardization of some some word. I don't know. I apologize. We we love women here. Love them. Love them. Okay, so back to awards. When I was talking about the Academy Awards, the Goya Awards and the Ariel Awards, there was a category that was won each time. There's probably more than one, but I'm really focusing on this one category because I have things to tell you. Cinematography. This guy named Guillermo Navarro won Best Cinematography across the board in all three. He is a longtime collaborator with Guillermo del Toro. And I want to tell you some of the movies that he worked on. So he did Kronos. Not seen it. No, I know. But like, he, it's a Guillermo <laughs> del Toro movie. Oh, okay. 
Then he, he also worked with Robert Rodriguez for Desperado and From Dusk Till Dawn and Four Rooms. Have I shown you Four Rooms, which is like the, the four-part movie. Quentin Tarantino did one and he did one. I know of it, but I've not seen it. Okay. He worked on Jackie Brown. He did Spy Kids. <laughs> nice. Yeah. He did Hellboy, Zathura, the um, like Space Jumanji. Yeah, with um, it was Kristen Stewart in that, and Josh Hutcherson. Sounds good enough. John Favreau directed it. Did he really? Uh huh. That makes me abundantly more interested in that movie than I was before. He directed that. Yeah, I love John Favreau. Have you seen it? Yeah. Is I it good? I, I don't think so. I don't remember. <laughs> I might have gone and seen it in theaters. Adding it to my watch list. He did Night at the Museum, which I love. Okay. Both Hellboys. The, the girls might think this is pretty cool. Twilight uh, Breaking Dawn Part 1 and 2. <laughs> he did Pacific Rim. And then it was kind of weird to me because 2013's Pacific Rim is the last time that he served as the DP on a Guillermo del Toro movie. A cinematographer named Dan Lostson uh, came in and did Nightmare Alley, Shape of Water, and Crimson Peak, right? Interesting. However, this is something that I thought was really cool, and this is all to make my point about this particular thing. Guillermo has a new show on Netflix called Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. What? It is an eight-part, like, mini-series where each of them is a story directed by a different horror director. And I know that, like, at least one of them that you'll know is Jennifer Kent. She did The Babadook. Okay. But one of them is directed by Guillermo Navarro. Interesting. When did this come out? Um, It comes out this year. Oh, so it's okay. I It's not out yet. It comes out this year, though. And gotcha. Guillermo is like the executive producer, probably like you probably could call him like the showrunner. He wrote he's a writer on all eight episodes. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that's good that they're back working together. And through trying to figure out why they separated, I found this show and I'm like super stoked about it because I had no fucking clue it even existed. I had not heard of this. Yeah, yeah. That's, I'm very intrigued. Me, too. So one of the big questions that I had during this film was, A, why did she take the grapes? Because throughout this research, clearly everything has intention. uh, And there had to have been a reason why she took them so easily. And B, I wanted to know, I don't know if you remember, but when there are the three doors when she's with the pale man, and one of the fairies is like pointing to the middle door, she's like, no. And then she picks the door next to it. And finds the dagger. And that was sort of like blown past. It wasn't really explained or explored again. And it was just a, a lingering question that I had throughout the, the rest of the film. And a site stated that it was a parallel with the non-fantasy plot. Where the doctor is talking with Vidal about not blindly taking orders. So I think, I think really in all three trials she's given these opportunities where she can like follow the rules and she can do what she's told or she can kind of break that. And uh, I think that's why she chose the other door. That's why she ate the grapes and that's why she didn't uh, sacrifice her younger brother. So I thought that was an interesting. Yeah. 
That's really cool. Yeah. Way to go, Jordan. Thanks, thanks. I'm not done yet. There's more. There's more. Uh, so the Pale Man, according to another site that I read, is a gruesome representation of the oppressive powers of Ophelia's world, Captain Vidal's Spanish fascism, and the Catholic Church. And to further this comparison, a scene of Vidal having dinner with his guests, including a Catholic priest, is shown in parallel, in which no one dares to question the captain's cruel motives. Um, and Del Toro also states that the Pale Man represents the church for me. Uh, he represents fascism and the church eating the children when they have a perversely abundant banquet in front of them. There's almost a hunger to eat innocence, a hunger to eat purity. So this Pale Man was very clearly, yeah, it very clearly tied with Del Toro's uh, history with the Catholic Church, I think. Um, I think he no longer practices Catholicism, but it is still very heavily featured in his movies. Wow. I also like when it flashes to the shoes, like clearly he's eating the children. And then when he's uh, like grabs the fairies and like bites their heads off. Yeah. It's a, a callback to Goya's painting. I forget what the painting is called. Saturn devouring his son. Remember the one? Yeah. Here, I'll pull it up. No, I know he's exactly like what you're talking about. Yep. Biting the, or like eating the, his son's body. That's fucked up. I have a level of respect for Guillermo and his work and the beauty and the majesty of it. But just hearing these like added themes that he's putting in that, you know, he knows that a lot of people aren't going to get, even if you can't specifically like verbalize, okay, how this theme relates to what is going on in the film. There is a lot that can affect your subconscious. It definitely had an effect on me that now knowing that it's about Catholicism, it's very easy to see how that all fits together. That's really cool. I agree. It's bitching. (laughs) It's bussin'. (laughs) <laughs> this is bussin this movie is bussin <laughs> oh I see that's one of those things that I know is going to last for about 10 minutes but I don't yeah. want it to go anywhere <laughs> bussin I want that to be on my gravestone he was bussin <laughs> okay you'll be dead long before I am I know <laughs> <laughs> what he just said I know, I know. <laughs> this is true Did you you have anything else? (laughs) Oh, okay, cool. I just wanted to talk a little bit about Doug Jones. We know, like, Doug Jones is awesome. He's been in a bunch of things. I have things written down here, like, listed, but it all, again, it's a list that sort of ends in something that I really am excited about that I wanted to tell you. But first off, I wanted to tell you, He's like a Christian, and I read somewhere that like he had specific misgivings about his role in Hellboy uh, just because oh. of hell and working alongside a demon and stuff like that. Wait, I'm really sorry. Was he also the fish monster in that one as well? Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Ape Sapien is not a monster. Well, the fish person, and neither is yes. neither is the fish person in uh in Shape of Water, really. He's certainly more monstrous than than Abe Sapien is. But I understand what you mean. Yeah. All right. So I just wanted to like name some things that Doug Jones is, is in for you guys who maybe don't know Doug Jones and uh, you don't know how amazing he is. First off, he's in Batman Returns. He's one of the clowns. There's like a, a taller, thin clown and then like a shorter, like rounder clown. A tall and lanky clown? 
Yeah. He's creepy. Yeah. Ooh. He is in Hocus Pocus, right? Yes. Yes. We did talk about that. Yes. In Men in Black 2, and I know you like those Men in Black movies. Love those movies. So, you know when they, uh, Will Smith has to go get. In the post office? James Earl Jones from the post office. Yes. Is he one of the aliens in the post office? He's the one with the long hair. Yes. Oh my God. That pulls off and he has like a tiny head. Yes. That scene yeah. is incredible, by the way. It when is a good scene. Like, it is. And when, when uh, Will Smith has to like talk to one of the other mailmen, and he starts speaking like this alien. Boom, boom, dick, boom, yeah. Dick. It's so good. I love Why that. Why don't you like those movies? They're okay. fantastic. So I remember liking number two when I was younger. I don't know. I just don't think. You know what? I love Will Smith. So I could probably get through them just on him alone. <laughs> He was the Silver Surfer in Fantastic Four. Nice. I didn't know this. He's actually voiced by Lawrence Fishburne. He's like the the character that does like the motion capture, but Lawrence Fishburne is the voice in as the Silver Surfer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. I've I've not seen that movie. I'm. (laughs) Oh well, okay. So he's like a metal guy that floats on a surfboard. On a surfboard. Yeah. Yep. I do know of him. That movie sucked. Okay. Uh, he is in Hellboy 1 and 2 as Ape Sapien, and I don't know if you know who David Hyde Pierce is. Mm-mm. Okay, so he plays um, Fraser's brother, Niles, on Fraser. That's really Next. the only thing. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he that's the voice of Ape Sapien, so he doesn't do the voice of Ape Sapien. I believe he does do the voice of Billy, though. I did not see another voice actor credited as Billy in Hocus Pocus. Legion, have you seen Legion? Yes, I love that movie. With oh, see the, the the ice cream man with the with a big long arm, yeah, like, like the long arms. mouth that like drops. That's yes. a fucked up movie. I love that movie. Okay, a movie I don't think you've seen, and I don't remember him being like. I think he was just like a normal person. I think no, I I, I don't want to spoil anything. Okay, Absentia, which is a Mike Flanagan movie, and it's it's like a it was like one of his first, and it's like really low budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not great. I did not enjoy it, but uh, I just wanted to say that I'd seen all of the Mike Flanagan movies. So I watched that. He's in that movie. Nice. A movie that I absolutely refuse to watch, but it's for a different reason is <laughs> origin of evil, which he is also in. But again, I will never know how or what he does or anything like that. Cause I refuse to type those letters into my Google search. Why? Because I'm not open to no conduits. I don't even want to say it out loud. I don't like that word. I don't like those puzzles. Uh, people are trying to get me them before. I remember there was a Waluigi one, like a Waluigi <laughs> word. And it just said, wah, nothing. I do not want any of that. I'm not trying to invite the devil into my home. <laughs> I have enough spooky shit. I do not need a word. Waluigi board. It's <laughs> the funniest thing. I have to look that up. I'm so sorry. I t- I promise you it exists, and I promise you this is not the first time that you've seen this. <laughs> I've said this to you before. It just it just says why. <laughs> that is incredible. I think it's hysterical too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want one either. But just the fact that someone made that like massive kudos. That is yeah. Boy, is that amazing. Okay. So this movie sucked. It 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 was like popular for a bit. The Bye Bye Man. Do you remember seeing trailers for that? 
No, but the title sounds familiar. Yeah, it was like just a couple of years ago, I think. But he was the Bye Bye Man. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Shape of Water. Obviously, uh, he's the lead gentleman in Buffy. And he's on Star Trek Discovery, for which he has won two Saturn Awards, which again are like the genre Oscars. It's the Oscars in space. On Saturn. It's a Saturn Oscars. Yes. It's the Oscars. <laughs> Oscars in space. I love it. What's really funny about those is they don't hold them every year. Like, it's weird. I don't know. I don't well, know why Saturn's they... years are different than you're this right. Year, Absolutely. Years, my my so. apologies. God, fucking dumbass. Jesus. But here is the <laughs> last one. What would I hold for last that would make you really happy? Oh, I don't know. He's in Hocus Pocus 2. Oh, that's good. That's good. That makes me happy. Yeah, he signed on for Hocus Pocus 2. I saw it on the cast list. I was like, yes. I had this person, this character in my head waiting for you to bring him up, and you didn't. And now I'm wondering if it's not Doug Jones. It was one of the Conjuring movies, and it was the Bent Man or something. What was the... um... The Crooked Man. Yeah, was that not him? No, but there's another creepy long guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Javier Votet. Yes. And he was Mama. Yep. And he was yep. Slender Man. Mm-hmm. And he was... He um, was in It, wasn't he? He was in Crimson Peak. Guillermo del Toro cheated on Doug Jones with Javier <laughs> Botet. <laughs> That's very funny. That's very cool, though. He's got quite the resume. He sure does. And I really appreciate him and everything he does because I was thinking about like having to sit in makeup for so long and to be a character that is unrecognizable. And so many people have seen you in so many places and they have no idea who you are. And like (laughs) maybe he likes it like that. He's content just living his private life. And that's probably honestly the case. Someone who is such a prolific character actor, I guess it would make sense that he would be okay with not, you know, ever sort of getting any sort of limelight. So there's like some mental strength in there having to get all made up, like being covered in makeup and still being able to act through it or completely like playing a digital character and still being able to act through it. I mean, I saw pictures of him, how he was portraying the fawn and like his legs actually bent backwards. I know. It's crazy. Well, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, but like his legs are in green screen, but then he has these like uh, fawn legs shooting out from his legs. And it's like, I can't imagine how hard that is to like act and make look realistic with your balance yeah. and everything. Mm-hmm. It's just really dope. And like, even if he doesn't do the voice, it's never just the voice. It is always his performance. We should have a quick take episode just called Long Actors That We Love. <laughs> Uh, I didn't want to bring this up in, I actually had this as a note when I was watching the movie that I hated the way that the fawn moved because he had this like weird twitch to him. But I realized that like it was almost scary and I kind of liked it about like it grew on me as I watched the movie and bringing this up just made me want to say that like, yeah, he, he killed that role. He, you know what the kids say these days? He ate that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I feel like if you know this lingo, I need you to tell me this other word that I heard. Uh Uh-oh. She's mid. (laughs) That's really mid. Oh, she's she's actually pretty mid, though. What the fuck does that mean? I would assume, is it short for middle? Where, like, if you say something's mid, it means it's, like, mediocre? 
I don't know. One thing I also don't know is cap or no cap. I don't know what those cap are. is false. No cap is true. I learned that from editing the I may get in trouble for this podcast because they, they would say cap and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> uh, but I sort of use my context clues to realize cap is cap is false. And if you want to symbolize cap, you use the blue cap emoji. Got it. Um, and that's that's saying that's bullshit, basically. And no cap. You'd be like, no cap. And it's like, no, I'm no lying. I'm not lying. Tell, I'm telling you the truth. The more you know. The more you know. Okay, tell me more things about things that I didn't know about this movie. Before I go into that, I do want to expand on what I said in take two about not Nobody feeling... remembers what you said in take two. I, I just listened to it, so I do, <laughs> which never happens. Uh, but So did they. <laughs> there was some... <laughs> There was something about the ending that just didn't sit right with me. And I don't want to go into this discussion assuming that I am a better filmmaker than Guillermo del Toro. Obviously, that is not the case. I do not like that is not how I feel whatsoever. I just think the more I looked into this film, I did think that there was a lot missing from Ophelia's character, specifically when it comes to her younger brother. It was very clear that she had a very strong relationship with her mother. She loved her mother very much. She did a lot of things that could have gotten her in trouble and did get her in trouble in order to save her. And I would have assumed that when her mother died, there should have been or would have been some resentment toward her younger brother. Like, you killed my mom kind of thing. But we didn't really get a lot of that emotion. It was sort of like the mom died and then she moved out of her room, and that was that. There, I really don't feel like there was a lot of emotion portrayed from Ophelia. And I feel like if that were different, if she did show some kind of resentment towards her younger brother, or like had this moment where she was like, I hate you, I can't stand you, look what you've done, it would have made the ending more impactful, where she kind of had the choice to cut her brother in the end to give her what she wanted. Oh, that's not bad, actually, because at first I'm like, does she really need to do that? But then if you tie it into the ending and her choice, then it, it not only shows a believable response to a really sad moment for her, but it also like shows growth by the end of it. Yeah, it would have given her so much internal struggle. And like, I feel like it would have made that moment more profound and more... She's like, because she could, she very well could. She's like, well, this child killed my mom and I'm very upset and angry about that. So like, yeah, maybe I should, but I need to do the right thing. I need to do what's right. And I don't know, just some final thoughts. I think that was all. I, I do still love the story. I do still really, really enjoy this movie. I think I just wanted to expand upon my thoughts that I said in the previous take about the ending. I think the ending kind of like, it could have been much more uh impactful profound impactful uh, profound like concluded like like what's an explosive conclusion word explosive and conclusionary that conclusionary i don't think is a word but let's use that i like that one yeah cool. i agree i agree thanks. thanks for the um yeah i appreciate that um anything for you Moving on to off of my rants uh, and just some things that you may not have known about the creation of this movie. Del Toro wanted to release a trilogy in which all of the movies dealt with the Spanish Civil War, which included The Devil's Backbone. And he had plans to make a third, which would have been titled 
I would assume you call it 3993. It's 3993 because yeah. it's in both of those different time periods. Yeah, it's in both of those different years. But then Hellboy 2 took over his priorities. I'm really glad we got Hellboy 2 instead. Because Hellboy 2 is bussin'. I kind of agree. <laughs> Uh, the Fawn's design was inspired by a reoccurring dream that Del Toro had as a child, where the Fawn would step out from behind a grandfather clock. Oh, jeez. If I only could. I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, there's actually been some discussion. Some sites say a grandfather clock. Some sites say a wardrobe. But uh, he said it said that he wasn't a lion, a, f- a witch, and a wardrobe. I'll get to that. Pin that in your head because it's coming back. I promise. But uh, it said that he was never really afraid of this. He was more curious and inquisitive about it. Del Toro turned down offers to double the production budget if he made the film in English. Uh, going back to that discussion about how people wanted to make it super Hollywood. Uh, and he did that because he wanted to make the film exactly as he intended. He didn't want to sacrifice any of his vision. And also, it takes place... like during spanish war like yeah it makes perfect sense that this yeah why would it be in english yeah weirdos i agree apparently he translated for like the captions himself which is awesome oh good way Um, to go del toro definitely at a screening of the film shortly before it went on general release the director happened to be seated next to stephen king who is that I read that he's some like horror author, so it would make sense that he was there. Hmm. Very Sounds interesting. Good. Yeah, uh, I'll give him a but look. Mr. King reportedly squirmed in his seat through the entire Pale Man series, and Del Toro described that moment as akin to winning an Oscar and called it the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. And that made me so happy. I love that. So cool. Uh, now, going back to The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, my last point here is Del Toro turned down the chance to direct The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to make this movie, which is interesting because The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe also deals with a wardrobe and a fawn, which was like, that was kind of It is cool. weird. And religion. And like, religion. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yep. Guillermo Del Toro directing The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I can't imagine how different that movie would have been the lion the witch in the wardrobe like while being like a like a fun entertaining movie is based on a story that is like much tamer and much more wholesome uh because it is like wrapped in the veil of christianity than what guillermo typically does because even if he has like a very beautiful message and a very wholesome idea it's always wrapped in violence. <laughs> like, I mean, every single one of them, every single movie I've ever seen of his has been violent as fuck. Do you think they would have let him make it R-rated? No. Probably not. Yeah, probably But you not. know what? He he um, was going to do The Hobbit for a long time. Oh, that would be interesting. I remember he was, he was signed on. I think he even, like, wrote treatments for The Hobbit. I don't know if he... I'm sure he's, he's probably credited as a writer for them, but, like, he was going to do the the hobbit before peter jackson came in i think he left and then peter jackson had to come in and and come back and do it i don't think i'll ever watch those movies yeah i was gonna say i don't remember those movies being well received but so i think this was good 
I, I really was, enjoyed this. I think this was great. I learned a lot from you. I hope that you at least, like, I don't know, learned some things from me. I have already forgotten everything that you've said. Okay, yeah. In record time, too. It is impressive. Hey, listeners. Thanks for being bussin'. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you want to check out more, you can visit us at Take3AMP.com or you can visit us on all major social media sites at Take3AMP. As always, that's the number three. And do you want to be mid or do you want to be cap? Uh, Go ahead and go on iTunes and give us five stars. And that's on Bussin'. Uh, See you next week.